uh, glad you're here with us today. We are starting a brand new series called True-ish. And um, the series is, the reason we're doing it is because there is a, a lot of information, a lot of ideas out there about the Bible. And uh, maybe it's kids and their interpretation of the Bible, or maybe it's adults and their interpretation of the Bible. And it feel, felt natural to me to, to hit this next as far as a teaching series, because as we've been going through this year, we started off with three weeks in the book of 1 John, and then we did a bunch of weeks. I don't remember how it was. It was a bunch of weeks in the gospel and walked through the gospel of John. And then we just finished going through the book of Galatians. And so what we've done is we have, uh, uh, at the beginning of the year, tried to understand Jesus. And then this last series, we tried to understand the gospel and what that, who is Jesus? What is the gospel? And now we're going to go into a series where we're going to try to understand the Bible. So uh, this is, how do we read it? How do we study it? Because if if we know who Jesus is and we know who we are and what he's done for us, now how do we live and what do we do with that? And that's where we, uh, not only do we understand those other things from the Bible, but we understand how to live from Scripture. And unfortunately, because there is so much information out there, there are a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a Christian and how to live as a Christian. And so we're going to address some of those things. Uh, I would, the, the term that I like to think about is the term noise. It's noisy out there. There's a lot of noise. So trying to cut through the noise to know what is actually true, what's really true, is really important. And so what we're going to do in this series is uh, we're going to start with like an introduction, introductory message today. But people are excited about this apparently in the comments. I'm glad to hear that. At least Thomas is excited. All right, good. Thank you, Thomas. Um, Don't doubt that this series is going to be good. I bet he never hears that one, yeah. Um, so uh, what we're going to do in the series is we're going to take some common Christianisms, uh, phrases or ideas that are floating out there and answer the question, are they true? Are they true? Are they true? Are they true-ish? Are they totally false? What scriptures are they based on? Are we interpreting those scriptures correctly or are we not? Is there something deeper than even what we're seeing? And so we're going to address some of those things um, through this series. Quest- things like... Um, when somebody says, hey, everything happens for a reason. Is that true? Is that not true? All right, when people say things like, I got a list of them. When people say, uh, God won't give you any, won't give you more than you can handle. Is that true? Is it true-ish? You know, these are the kinds of things, these are the, the phrases and things we're going to do. And we're kind of playing this one by ear because uh, as we're going to talk, I will talk at the end after the message a little bit about when we might be able to meet again and what that might look like and what we know or don't know. And I uh, wanted to do a series that was kind of flexible for us. So we weren't in a book in the middle of a series when we start meeting in any way. So that's what we're going to do. And I want to be really clear as we get into this. Sometimes when these kinds of things are addressed, it can come across as a little bit judgmental. Like, oh, well, they all, nobody, they, they all, those are lies. They don't know what they're talking about. I know the truth. I know what I'm talking about. I want you to know we're not at all doing that in this series. It's not the goal. Don't want that to be the tone because the, the reality is we're all in process and we're all learning. And there's some things that I know and there's some things that I don't know. There's some things that I've studied and some things that I haven't studied. And the same thing is true for you. And so as we talk about these things, this is just going to help us to be able to create some filters and the ability to, to, get a sense for what is actually true and what isn't and how to answer the questions when we have them about something we hear whether it's a scripture or a phrase and we want to know is that true or is it true-ish or is it not true at all and it's really important that we learn to do this and we learn to understand what the bible actually says because there's a lot of opinions about what it says what does it actually say and so while we'll be looking at these phrases and everything, really what we're going to be doing is arming ourselves to be able to answer those questions on our own, learn how to do that. Because I don't want you to feel intimidated by this, and I don't want you to feel scared about this, and I don't want you to feel like you can't find the answers, and you just have to take people's word for it. It's not true. So what we're going to do is actually today start with an, an overall message to give us some tools that we are then going to use throughout the rest of the series. All right, so let me read to you. Uh, Paul, who's the apostle who uh, wrote most of the New Testament, great church planter and leader. And he had pastors that he would write to and encourage, and one of them was Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor. He wrote two letters to him that we have in the Bible. They're called First and Second Timothy, um, though Paul wrote them. They're named for the guy they're written to. And he wants to give instructions to Timothy on what he should be focused on, what he should be thinking about, what's important, what's not important. 
and uh, how to organize and lead in, in the church that he's in. And so I want to share with you some scripture that is, that is uh, really well known, but I think we might be able to add a little bit of extra depth to today. And uh, maybe we find ourselves in the exact situation that Paul is addressing in our culture. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, verse 13. And we're going to jump around a little bit today. So if you want to, you know, speed read and try to, you know, flip in your Bible to get there, you can get there. Um, if you got the Uversion Bible app, it'll already be there for you. So you don't got to flip around at all. But we're also putting it on the screen for you. All right, 2 Timothy 3, starting in 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from you, whom you have learned them. So he wants him to have confidence and to think about the source that it came from. And that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture will give us what we need in order to answer these questions. And it is useful, but the key is we need to know what it actually says, not what someone's opinion is about it. It's really easy for bias and other things to get into our reading of the scripture. And so we're going to give some tools that are going to help us to filter out those things. And really, here's my goal uh, as the pastor of Carolina Family Church. I want to arm you with the tools you need in order to figure this stuff out on your own. Okay? I walked into the uh, kitchen uh, Saturday morning after my wife had done 100 things and I had done zero things except wake up. And I walked into the kitchen and there was a pan on the stove that had like scrambled egg residue in it. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Jess, you know, Jess must have made scrambled eggs. And I realized that on her list, she posted a list of all the things that she had done on, on the Facebooks that making eggs was not on the list. I was like, what in the world? Neither was washing windows. That's another story. You can check out her post for that. Okay. But uh, so I was trying to figure out, this is a great egg caper. I was trying to figure out where the, this egg came from. And finally, I tracked it down and realized that JD, who's our, he's 11 years old, our 11-year-old son, JD, had made himself scrambled eggs. Now, he didn't wash the dishes, but he had made the scrambled eggs himself. And I went to him and I said, bro, did, did you make those eggs by yourself? He's like, yo, mom had to help me turn the, the stove on correctly. But other than that, yeah, I made them. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's like a whole new world. This kid's going to be cooking for us soon. This is fantastic. You know, I don't even have to make my own eggs. Not that I ever do, but I don't have to make my own eggs anymore. <laughs> Jess won't have to make the eggs anymore because JD will make the eggs. Point is, our kids are growing up and they're becoming independent. And they're learning how to do things. Jairus can do laundry now. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. He can do his own laundry. Yeah, he's 10 years old, can do his own laundry, all right? And uh, it's, it's incredible. We're entering in this whole new world where our kids are suddenly independent, and we're realizing that they're becoming adults, and they're being able to do the things on their own. And that is what we want to see within our church. It's what I, as a pastor, want to see within our church. I want to see us all growing into spiritual maturity where we're becoming self-feeders and self-learners. We have the tools that we need, and we're growing them together. It's kind of like that old adage, um, and forgive me for how corny this is. I try to stay away from corny stuff. But, um, you know, I don't want to give you a fish. If you're hungry, I don't want to give you a fish. I want to teach you to fish. You take your rod out and you get all that you need. And so as I think about our church, I, I, what I want is I want to get to the point where I don't have to teach anybody to fish. Well, hopefully we always have new people coming into our church that we're teaching to fish. But for you that are watching, I want to get to the point where we can just go fishing together. <laughs> where we can apply this stuff together and we can have discussions about this together and, and, and where people in our church aren't dependent on me to do all of the teaching and all of, the, all of that, where we're doing all this together. So that's what I really want to do in this series uh, is give those, those tools and make sure that we all understand how we can move forward together. So let's just get into it. What I have today uh, is um, six principles for finding the truth. 
Six principles for finding the truth. And I'll tell you, this message is a little different than what I would normally do. Normally, we're taking a passage and we're working through it or one verse and we're working our way through it um, because I think, for, for me, that's my favorite way to teach and I think the most effective way for me to teach, although other people do it differently. But today, we're going to do the six principles and it's going to be boom, boom, boom. And for some of you, this is going to be review. Some of you are already doing this. And some of you, this is going to be brand new. So that's great. Review is good and learning new things is good. We always need these reminders. So six principles for finding the truth. Number one, approach with reverence. So this is how we are going to be reading and understanding and studying the Bible. Approach with reverence. And there's a balance to be struck here because what I want you to understand is this is the word of God. It's the truth. And it is higher than my opinion, my thoughts, and it is true whether I interpret it correctly or not. And so my goal is to find the truth here. This is the word of God. And to to even be able to, to read this in a language that I understand is a great honor. It's a great privilege. It's the word of God. And it, it's not a toy. It's not something to be played with. It's not something to be to be to just use however we want to use or to come to it flippantly. We need to take the Bible very seriously. Now there was a time in history where people didn't have access to this. They didn't have it. They they either couldn't read, um, so it didn't matter what language it was in, or the Bible was translated into a language they couldn't read, and only the religious elite or the religious leaders had access to it. And so they would choose what to share and how to share it and how to teach it. And, and that goes all the way back to the Old Testament where they would bring out the scrolls and, and even into uh, fairly modern days where you had things like the Catholic Church. You had the Bible in Latin and they would read the Bible in Latin and then they would tell people what it said. And unfortunately what happens when there's limited access to the Bible is that people's sinful nature and priorities and agendas have caused um, Uh, abuse, systemic abuse of the Bible. But today we have the great benefit of having unprecedented access to the word of God, which is incredible. I mean, I can, I I have this printed copy right here. I actually have another printed copy in the other room. I've got it on my phone. I've got multiple versions on my phone. I can read it in different languages. I've got it all over the place. I can go to, to to the internets and I can go to a website and I can pick a verse and I can copy it and I can paste it into a social media post and I can I mean, unprecedented access to the Bible. The the caution when that happens is that with unprecedented access to the Scripture, we also begin to take it for granted or could easily misuse or abuse it in this case because maybe it's not read in context and maybe these other things don't happen. And so we need to be intentional with so much access to the Bible, which is a great thing, and, and unlimited access to the Bible versus limited access to the Bible is an upgrade. Okay, it is the situation we have ourselves in now is far better than when a few people held it in their hands and were able to tell everyone what it meant. But given the fact that we have so much access to it, we need to be very reverent towards it and not let not let us slip into a devaluing it or abusing the scripture, making sure we take it very seriously. And when I talk about the Bible, by the way, I don't mean the print. Okay, yes, this is printed, but the paper and the ink are not holy. The truth is holy. The truth is the word of God. So some people are like, well, I won't even write in my Bible. And that's fine if you want to do that. That's a personal, personal conviction. But the, the printed pages are not what is holy. The truth is what is holy. And we need to treat it with reverence and respect. And, and an important understanding when you're reading with reverence is uh, the principle of, uh, I want to say literacy, but I don't think it's the right word. The fact that, okay, let me just put it this way. We assume that what the Bible says is literal unless it gives us a good reason not to. So unless something is clearly poetry, like Psalms, we assume that it's literal and then we accept it as literal as it is. That's important as we approach it. Because we believe that contained within these pages is life and truth and everything that we need to bring God honor and glory. All right, so we want to approach with reverence. Proverbs chapter 9, and I'm going to jump around a little bit with some scriptures today, but Proverbs chapter 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, it's God, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. This is life. Okay, this is the key. Not, well, 
I mean, maybe by making godly decisions, we live longer. But at the very least, even if that's not true, the quality of our life, the ability to live uh, with an eternal perspective and have eternal life now is contained within these pages. So we want to take that very, very seriously and approach with reverence. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we want to read with humility. Read with humility. This is really, really important. It's, I think it's one of the first mistakes that we make when we go to Scripture. I want to discover what God says, not confirm what I already think. I want to know what God says, not to confirm what I already think. Scripture is often used as a reference to support a point that I want to make. And that is the absolute wrong way to look at the Scripture and to interpret the Scripture. It's the difference that the, the words that, get, that are used in the Bible study world are the words exegesis and eisegesis. Um, and that's not I-S-O, Jesus. Okay, it's not, it's not I-S-O, J-E-S-U-S. Okay, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. Anyway, don't worry about that. But that's not, it's not like, exe, it's not Jesus like Jesus. Okay, so, but exegesis, exa, means out of. Out of the scripture. Eisegesis is into the scripture. So what that means is I can read the Bible two ways. I can either read the Bible and try to get out of it what's in it, or I can read the Bible and try to put into it what's in me. That's eisegesis. So coming from my own cultural context, my own desires, my own, my own understandings or whatever, and putting them on the scripture rather than letting the scripture speak to me. It's one of the key mistakes that we make. I'll just give you a real quick example. We might dive more into this verse in this, in this series, but one verse that is often... Uh, uh, misuse where we put our own context onto it is Philippians 4.13. Super famous verse. You've probably seen that reference on an athlete's you know, face or on their shoes or something. You've seen it here and there. Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now there is, there is something that that verse actually means. And if you study that verse and draw the meaning out, it means one thing. But what people will often do is they will read that verse and they'll make it mean whatever they want it to mean. So I can, uh, you know, well, I'm up for the promotion. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, as if Jesus is going to help me do whatever I want to do. Well, that's the wrong perspective. That is taking my desire and putting it onto the text. And we need to do, if we want to build our life on what is actually true and reliable, then we will come to the scripture with humility and say, God, whatever you say, that's what I want to know. Um, Paul, again, when he's talking to Timothy later in that letter that we, start, we read a little bit of earlier, he says this to Timothy. This is in uh, chapter 4. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Okay? And you can hear what he doesn't say here. Don't preach your opinions. Don't preach what you think. Don't preach what you feel. Preach the word word, the truth. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So he's describing to Timothy what I think, I'm sure Timothy saw as well, but we certainly see is that people will just, uh, they will be attracted to the person that tells them what they want to hear, whether that thing is biblical or not. Listen, if you're a part of Carolina Family Church and you listen to the messages at Carolina Family Church, don't, don't, don't tune in to this live broadcast or to go to one of our services just because it makes you feel good or because you like the way that, that I teach or someone else teaches or because you like the style or whatever. That's not why I want you to, to participate in the teaching ministry or the other ministries of Carolina Family Church. Do it because you think we are being true and honest to the truth. That when we interpret scripture, we're not putting our own desires and our own perspectives on it, but that we are being true and honest to what God has actually said. And so Paul tells Timothy in verse 5, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, 
do the work of an evangelist, the bringer of good news, fulfill your ministry. Because it's very easy for us just to go to the teacher that tells us what we want to hear or to read the scripture the way that we want to read it. And I, I want to be cautious on this idea a little bit because if you're not careful, this idea, even the scripture is often, frankly, when I read this text, I often hear like a fundamentalist you know, preacher saying this verse, oh, they're just telling you, don't, you know, don't be a part of that church. They're just there's itching ears over there. Just, you know, like there's a real negative context to me as I think about that verse. But uh, regardless of that's not what we're doing. This is not like we're not being, you know, judgmental or legalist or anything like that. We just want to be as right as we can be <laughs> according to the scripture. And that's an honest and an important pursuit. And uh, that's what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do. And that means that I'm going to look to Scripture humbly for the truth, regardless of whether I agree with it or not, or whether I want to hear it or not. And that might be the hardest thing about actually studying the Bible, is when you come across something you're not sure you want to believe. It happens. Where you come across things where you're not sure you fully agree with this. Or you don't quite understand it because it doesn't fit in with what our cultural values might be. Or what our personal experience might be. But it's the truth. And so my process of discipleship is bringing my life in line with this. Because frankly, if I read the Bible and I agree with everything and I can reconcile everything I read, well then I'm probably not reading the truth of God, it's my truth. You know, I, I want to, to go to scripture and be challenged by an idea because it proves that it's God's idea and not my idea. And so one of the hardest things, though, about discipleship and growing as a Christian is learning to bring yourself in submission to the scripture. And learning how to say, you know, I don't quite fully understand that or I don't maybe don't agree or I don't feel that yet, but it's true. And so I'm going to go with it because it's true. I was thinking about this analogy. We were actually, we were talking earlier because uh, Ronnie, who plays percussion for us, works in the food service industry. Actually, the supply, like the supply line to restaurants and grocery stores and everything. And as we all know right now, we're having a hard time getting uh, supplies into particularly meat, right? A steak. We were supposed to have steak for lunch today. Couldn't find any. All right, steak is in limited supply. Pork products are in limited supply. And... Um, and so uh, we I think it's Jeremy who's who's running our, our video for us and everything said, well I'm just gonna I got goats at the farm, <laughs> you know what? At some point we're at, I was just gonna the, the whole other the, the rest of the world is ahead of us because I think the most consumed meat product in the world is goat. Okay, we just don't eat it in America in general because we have other things that we eat, cows and chickens and pigs and plants and kale and whatever else. All right, <laughs> but. Uh, but we were, we were joking, like, pretty soon we're just all going to be eating goat, you know, because it's, it's super plentiful and reproducible and all that kind of stuff. The whole world's ahead of us. Anyway, uh, it made me think about uh, this restaurant that Jess and I visited uh, a while back, a couple years ago now, I suppose. We took a trip to Chicago, and we went to a restaurant by one of our favorite chefs. It's, um, the, the chef is Stephanie Izard. She's an iron chef. If you watch Food Network, you might know who she is. Um, but she has a restaurant in Chicago. It was her first restaurant called The Girl and the Goat. Okay, And I actually, um, they have a whole goat section on the menu. And when I went, we, we ordered a meal called Goat Face Okay, <laughs> when we were there. And I have to tell you, Jess and I eat at nice restaurants. It's one of our favorite things to do. And um, we like good food and we like traveling and doing that kind of stuff. And it was, I think, the best meal I've ever had at that restaurant. Couldn't, couldn't recommend it highly enough. I think it was the best meal I ever had. But I noticed something at that restaurant, and I noticed something at other restaurants that are of that same caliber. When you sit down at the table, there's no salt on the table. There's no salt. There's no pepper. And those are my favorite kind of restaurants. Do you know why? Because the chef has already seasoned it properly before it gets to you. <laughs> so you shouldn't need salt, and you shouldn't need pepper. And when you go to a restaurant like that, when I go to a restaurant, if I'm like a little down home diner kind of place i might ask for you know the sauce on the side or or to swap out the side or to you know to do to do different things or substitutions or whatever else but never when i go to a great restaurant because i know that that chef iron chef stephanie izard is back in well she's people she's trained are back in the in the kitchen and they're preparing a dish exactly the way it should be prepared with the right amount of acid and the right amount of fat and the right textures in the dish 
And the second that I ask for a substitution, I have messed up the perfect calculation that the iron chef has prepared. Here's a, here's, you know, unless I have like an allergy or something at a restaurant like that, for me to ask for a substitution would be to somehow propose that I am a better chef than Stephanie Izard is. And that is simply not true. So I want it however she's going to send it because I trust that she's a better chef than me. She knows more than I do. And I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest culinary experiences I've ever had. It was, a, it was incredible. We ate very slowly, and we made weird sounds while we were doing it. It was oh so word. good. Is that weird? That's too weird. Okay, fine. You're right. I wasn't doing that. You were. But no, I'm just kidding. Here, do you, do you get the point already? Have we already made the point? God is the better chef. God's truth, God's perspective, God's ideas, God's values, God's morals, God's perspectives, they're all better than mine. So for me, if I were to approach the scripture and propose that I know more than he does, well, I'd be wrong, of course. And I would miss out on what's best because God has planned what's best. And so we need to go to the uh, scripture with humility. It's a hard thing to do, but it's an important thing to do if we're truly going to understand. Okay, so reverence, we have reverence, we have humility. The third, yes, okay. Just for the record, Monica says Jeremy is not going to eat her goats. Okay, just putting that in there. That was in the, that was in the comments. My goats too. He said there is goats too. We are off the rails, people. All right, that's fine. That's fine. We're, we're all having fun. Okay, so uh, one, reverence. Two, humility. The third thing is that we need to understand with context. Understand with context. Context is simply the situation that something finds itself in. The context of our society right now is shelter in place, you know, and the threat of a virus, a global virus. It's the context, and the context informs the message. It's hard to understand the message if you don't understand the context, and it's easy to take things out of context and then misunderstand them. So if you take scriptures, for example, many of them, and you put them into an American mindset, it's very easy to misunderstand them because they've been taken out of context. And there's a lot of different kinds of context when you're reading scripture. There's the biblical context, like what is the, what is the purpose of the Bible as a whole? And how does that inform what I'm reading? Why is this verse here, given the, what I know about the Bible as a whole? There's the, uh, the context of the Testaments. So what you read and how you apply and understand things in the Old Testament is going to be different than the way that you read and apply and understand things in the New Testament because the way God is dealing with humanity is different in those two different places. So those are important things to understand. There's the context in a way of, of the authorship of the book. Who wrote it? You know, we, we just went through uh, a series called Jesus According to John and understanding John was an important piece to understanding what he was saying what he was focusing on, why he shared this and didn't share that. So the context of the author is important. Historical context is important. So we just did a series on the book of Galatians. Understanding the churches in the area of Galatia is helpful to understanding what is written to them. Um, for example, we, we talked about how um, the Galatians, and without going into the full context, how the Galatians, the people that settled there were Celtic. They were the Gauls. They had moved um, from the, uh, the central part of Europe, and they had headed out uh, east, so to speak, and they had gotten stopped there in that region of Turkey and settled, and they were enemies of Rome. So it's important to understand the background of the Galatians in order to understand what and why Paul is writing to them, writing them about, and then understanding the purpose of the book itself, why the author wrote to this group of people and what they wrote, and then also the immediate context of a verse, which means not reading a verse by itself, but what was written before it and what was written after it. And I know I'm saying all of this, and some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to research that kind of stuff. I, mean, I don't know all the history and all of that. Right. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. We are never going to fully 100% understand the context of a verse. I can read in Galatians and I can know as much as I can about the culture there and the people there. And I can know as much as I can about Paul and what he wrote and why he wrote it. But I'm not 
from the church in Galatia. I didn't live at the time. I, I don't have a full and complete understanding of the context. So we are all somewhere on that spectrum. And the goal, all I'm saying is that for us, since we know we're not ever going to fully understand the context and we can't have everything in view, we're never going to be an expert in the whole thing, is just to be as well-informed as we can be. Out of that reverence and out of that humility to say, I want to understand this context as much as I can so that I can then read and interpret properly. One little uh, tip I want to give you uh, is just never read one verse on its own. If I could give you one context tip, that would be the biggest one. Never read one verse on its own. There are very few verses in the Bible, unless they're intended to stand on their own, like a, maybe a proverb or even something out of Psalms, unless it's intended to stand on its own. It was never intended to, be, to have that phrase picked up, pulled out of context, and used standalone. And a lot of the mistakes that we make in interpreting Scripture are because we take verses out of context. We pull them up out of where they are, move them to where we want them to be, and use them how we want to use them when they have a purpose and they have a meaning and an intent. And so we should read verses in context. So if you want to start uh, you know, to be more reverent with the Scripture and, and bringing humility to the Scripture and reading in context, just start by not reading a verse all by itself. Read around it. Anytime that I hear someone uh, uh, quote a verse, and I'm not sure if it's right being used correctly or not, first thing I do is I go read around it. So maybe read the entire chapter that it's in or read five verses ahead of it or read five verses after it and try to understand what's going on. That will pretty quickly give you an idea of whether that verse is being properly interpreted or not. And we live in a, a time when it's super easy to do that, to take things out of context, because we can copy and paste it. We can copy and paste it, and you can go on Instagram, and you can see the verse of the day over a pretty little graphic with your verse, you know, and it is so easy to take that and misrepresent it. That happens in our culture all the time, by the way. Hey, we got a presidential election coming up, everybody. I'm not going to talk about that in detail, but I will say, get ready for a whole lot of things to be taken out of context <laughs> on all different sides. We're going to copy and paste this phrase and accuse you of this and that, and oh, you went against what you said. Look at what you said, and here it is, and and taking things out. Of, and what does everybody say? Well, you're taking that out of context. You're taking it out of the context. You're taking it out of context. Because communication is always done in context. Communication is always done in context. So in order to understand what someone is really saying, then we need to look at the whole thing. And that's the goal when we come to the scripture. Verses of the day, all these kinds of things, they're all well-intentioned. Don't hear me wrong. You know, they're, they're good. Um, but they can be uh, misleading if we're not careful with them. So we need to. Even, let me, let me, let me give you an example. Of a verse we already read, by the way, and not Philippians 4.13. <laughs> Where context helps us to better understand what someone is talking about. We go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? Where, uh, wait, is that it? No, 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 no. 2 Tim oh, yeah, Timothy 3, right? The, ver the first set of verses we read. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful and profitable, Okay. What Paul says to Timothy is, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, so trust the source, we already said that, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. From childhood, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul is not here talking about what he's writing. Okay? When Paul writes this, they don't have the New Testament yet. So generally when we read that and we say, since childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, our, all of a sudden we think, oh, yeah, 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 the Bible. No, I mean, certainly that verse has come to include all of the Bible and can be applied that way. But when Paul wrote it, he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all these He's talking about the Old Testament. And what does he say about those verses? He says, the Old Testament scripture, because Paul's also, remember, Paul is teaching this message, you're not under the law anymore. You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. And so they're going, what, what do we do with all the Old Testament? What do we do with all these commandments? What do we do with everything in the examples and everything we read? What do we do with this? And Paul says, you know that from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
So Paul's making, making a connection for them and saying, for T- Timothy and saying, the Old Testament is useful because it points you to Jesus. It points you to salvation, right? So use it and know it and stand firm in it because of where it points you. And then he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's talking about the Old Testament. Although we know it also describes the New Testament, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So don't throw the Old Testament. We're not throwing babies out with bathwater. The Old Testament is still valuable. It's still important. It's still the word of God. And you need to stand strong on it as it points you towards Christ and righteousness and all these things I've been telling you about. So just giving you that as an example of where the context and understand what's going on really helps you understand what the verse is all about. I understand that we talk about context, and I've, I've talked about all this. It can be debilitating for some of us because you, you may find yourself very intimidated by the Bible. Um, one thing I'm pretty thankful for, <laughs> I'm just going to toss this out here. Anytime I see someone that has a Bible that's like large print or something and it's like this thick, I find that very intimidating. I find that very intimidating, okay? I'm thankful they came out with these thin line Bibles because it makes it feel a lot more approachable <laughs> if I do that right there. Makes it feel more realistic, but um, but don't be intimidated. Okay, we're all starting from somewhere. There's nobody that has a perfect understanding of the scripture. There's nobody that that has a a, a great interpretation of every single book in this in this book. Even so, uh, you know, I, I I look at theologians and other resources and commentaries and everything. And even when you got like somebody who's written a commentary of the entire Bible. Some of it is like spot on and really good. And some of it, you're like, no, they were burning through this. <laughs> like, hey, nobody has time to, to do that, which is why we have to trust our, uh, pick sources that we trust. But, but just know that you don't have to know everything right away. It, it really, at the beginning for, for all of us, is just the intent to get it right and say that I want to understand as much as I can. And I'm not going to use, oh, I can never understand it, as an excuse not to understand it the best that I can. So I'm going to research and do as much study as I can about um, context and all of that. All right, so we're always learning. And even if you learn something new and realize you've been wrong about something, don't get upset about that. Don't feel ashamed of it. Just pivot, make the change. I I even, as as a pastor, will listen to or sometimes I'll pull up old messages to see what I said about this before, you know, and I'll pull it up and be like, oh, my goodness, Did (laughs) did I really teach that? I taught that to a bunch of people, you know, and, and, I could, and I could easily feel incredibly guilty or to feel shame about, but I don't because it's not that I was being uh, flippant. It's not that I was being uh, reckless or careless or anything. I just didn't understand then what I understand now. And there are things that I will understand in, in five years and 10 years that I don't understand now. And so things will change and it's okay. Just make sure that when you confidently feel that something is the truth based on good, good study and understanding, that you make the change when you realize it. That's what's important. Okay, so um, let's keep rolling. So uh, reverence, humility, context, and then four, study with help. Study with help. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I don't know. I didn't live in the first century, so I need to rely on resources. I, I didn't translate the Bible from, from Hebrew into English or from Greek into English and so I have to rely on the sources that I have. We are all feeding off of each other as we learn and as we grow. So study with help, okay? Listen, in case nobody has told you this lately, we're in this together. Oh. Has anybody said that to you lately? We're in this together. Don't worry. No, we're in this together. We're learning and growing, and we've got lots of resources that we can use and feed off of. First one, and I, I, I don't want to call him a resource, but the Spirit is our teacher of the Scripture. And, and what's, in, what's vitally important is that when we go to the Scripture, we are asking the Spirit to teach us. Not to show us some crazy truth that nobody's ever seen before. Not to show us some hidden message in the Scripture. All right, I don't, I don't think it works that way. But to help us clearly see what's already there. To help us do research well to help focus us in on the right words or the right verses or the right segments of scripture, to help us understand context that we might not understand on our own. We're asking the spirit to enlighten us and empower us to see the truth that's already here, not not to like do anything weird, okay? So he is the teacher 
of the scripture. Second, we have Bible teachers, which are super helpful for us. I have people that I learn from. You have people that you learn from. And we have to have that because, again, there's no way that we're all going to be expert, an individual expert in the scripture. So we need a multitude of teachers around us. It's just very important that you find teachers that you trust. And in some cases, you know, I have, I have people that I listen to and that I read and that I pay attention to who I know have different theologies than me, but there are certain places in the Bible where that doesn't necessarily matter, you know, where we, we would be on the same page in this area, but not in that area. Again, not throwing out the babies with the bathwaters. And um, so they're, they're good. We can learn good things from a lot of different people. And then we want to make sure that we have teachers that we really, really trust. And that trust comes out of our belief that they are truly reading and teaching the scripture for what's there, not because of some personal agenda or bias or any, any self-glory or anything like that. So you really want to trust the character of the teacher, and that will be incredibly helpful. And then the third thing I want to say in, in this is that uh, there are great resources out there for you to use. Um, there are commentaries, there are books, there are sermons that you can listen to, um, there are videos that you can watch. A few of them I just want to share with you if you're taking notes and you want to jot a few things down. Um, as far as commentaries go, and that's when a theologian or a group of pastors or somebody you know, writes their own comments, commentary, on a particular book in the Bible or one of the Testaments or something. Um, I really like the Bible knowledge commentary. It doesn't get everything right. You know, I, well, I don't want to say that in an arrogant way, but, but I don't think, you know, there's some things that I'm not 100% agree with, but for the most part, I feel like they do a really good job of interpreting the scripture in an honest way and helping to, to provide application. There's other good ones out there, but I would just, if you wanted one Bible knowledge commentary, that's the one I would toss at you. Um, there's a great uh, website that I go to when I just have like a general question it's really helpful. It's called gotquestions.org. And again, I don't, I can't vouch for everything that's on the site. And there are a few things I've come across that I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. But, you know, what does, what does the Bible say about, uh, what does the Bible say about war? You can just, you can go to Google, right? What does the Bible say about war? Got questions. It'll bring up, and they'll probably have an article about, I don't, I don't think I've read that one, but they'll probably have an article about that one. Or what's the deal with Balaam's donkey? <laughs> you know, got questions. And they'll have an article, and it'll be pretty spot on. So that's, that'd be super helpful for you as well. I generally trust what they put on their site. Um, and then one thing that is incredibly helpful for me, completely free and available to you, is um, called blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org. And it's, in, it's like... I have expensive Bible study software. It's called Logos, and I have to pay for books on it and all this kind of stuff. I use blueletterbible.org more than I use Logos. It has commentaries. It has sermons. It has, you can do word studies. And so what I've done for this weekend's sermon, because I don't have time to talk about it now, if you want to understand how to really study a verse and to, to study uh, the words in the verse and, the, and what the Greek word is, and what it means and all that, I've created a walkthrough video that will show you. It's 13 minutes long. It'll show you how I use blueletterbible.org. It's linked in the description of this YouTube video. And so you can go watch that walkthrough and, and see how I would use it. Now, there's a lot of other things you can do, but that might be super helpful for those of you that are wondering, how do I go deeper? How do I really start to study some of this stuff? Uh, the resources are there for you. And, and there's lots of stuff out there. Those are just a few I'm tossing at you that I use on a regular basis. Okay, so study, uh, study with help. And then the last one is to apply with wisdom. Apply with wisdom. Now, very important. Study comes before application. Study comes before application. It is very important for us to read the Bible and ask the question, what does this mean to me? How do I apply this? What do I do with this? But we never ask the question, what does this mean to me, before we have answered the question, what does this mean? What is the purpose, the intent, the universal truth of this scripture? What is, it, what is the context of it? Then I can understand how to apply it to myself. Always study before you apply. And scripture has specific applications, and it has universal applications. There are some things that are written directly to and about us as the church. There are some things that are not. 
Like there are instructions that are given to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Those instructions are not for us. We don't, we don't have to follow those specifically the same way they're given to the nation of Israel. However, there are still universal principles there for us to understand and apply. All scripture is useful and profitable for, for doctrine, reproof, training, and righteousness. Okay? So we have to understand the difference between specific and universal applications. And we need to use wisdom to understand what we do with what we then know. Let me give you uh, an example of this, just, just to kind of, and we, I don't know if we'll talk more about this one in this series or not. I, I put a post on Facebook this week and said, what are some verses that do you think are typically misunderstood or misused? And I think half of them were this verse, <laughs> people suggesting this verse. Um, and I think it's true-ish. It's one of those things where we kind of, we miss um, how we're really supposed to apply it, but people are close. So it's Jeremiah 29, 11. Okay. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, that's a great verse. Very encouraging, which is why you see it like on the, the, like a vinyl on you know, the living room wall or on a, on a bumper sticker or somebody posts it you know, on, in response to somebody who's going through a hard time on Facebook. You know, they'll say, oh, hang in there, Jeremiah 29, 11. Very encouraging. And, and if you take that verse up and out of the context, uh, and you try to apply it to yourself without doing the, doing the study, then you might read that verse and say, look, God is promising there are good things ahead of me. God is promising to give me a future. God is promising that this is going to work out. God is promising that I'm going to get through this and that things are going to get better. And the problem is, well, that might happen. Uh, that's not a promise, and it's not a promise to me. So all we have to do is back out, read a couple verses around it, we look at the context and study it, Jeremiah 29. Let's read a few verses around it, okay, starting in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Now, wait a second. Am I in Babylon? I'm not in Babylon. I'm in Salisbury. <laughs> wait, wait, maybe this wasn't written to me. Maybe this was written to someone else. Maybe this was written to people that were in Babylon and were in captivity and needed to return somewhere. Maybe this was written to the nation of Israel who had been taken over by the Babylonians and were in captivity in Babylon, and now God is talking to them. This is the context. 4, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So what is this? This is God promising the nation of Israel that even though they're in captivity in Babylon, he is going to take them back to Jerusalem and they're going to be able to rebuild. He's making a promise to the nation of Israel. So it's not for me. That promise is not for me. I cannot claim that promise <laughs> and say that that's for me. It's not. In order to do that, I would have to take this verse out of context. However, this is still an incredible verse that I can apply. Not to say that this is a promise God has made me that everything's going to work out and everything's going to return to like it was, but to in this verse see the character and the nature of God, that God is loving, that God is caring, that God is with them, that God has not forgotten them, that God has a plan for them and that he will be with them to carry out that plan. And so I, as a New Testament believer, a member of the church, can look at this and say, you know what? I don't know if everything's going to work out, but I know that God has a plan for me. I know he will carry me to that and through that because it's in the character and nature of God to do that. I know that he cares about me and that he's thinking about me. I know that he's concerned with my situation and he wants to help walk with me through it. And that would be a good interpretation of that verse. So Jeremiah 20 and 11, powerful, amazing, encouraging, all that it should be. But the, the, you take it up and out of the context and you can miss it. And then when things don't go right in your life and things don't work out and things aren't restored to what they were, if you had misinterpreted that verse, you might say, well, God didn't do what he said he was going to do. Except he never said he was going to do it. <laughs> See, one of the problems, one of the key problems to me with misinterpreting the scripture 
is that we end up believing things about God that aren't true or expecting God to do things he never said he was going to do. So we set God up to look like he doesn't have solid character or we set God up to look like he's let us down and he hasn't. And so even if things don't work out in my life and things don't go back to what they were before, if I'm simply believing that God has a plan for me and that he's with me through it and that he wants to encourage me and carry me through to that plan, then I don't, I'm not set up to blame him when things don't go the way that I want. So it's a great example. So I apply with wisdom. And that's what we're going to do, okay? As we go through the rest of the series and we address some of these Christian you know, scriptures or ideas, we're going to ask, are these actually true? So we can get a better understanding of God. But not only are we going to learn the great principle within that idea, but we're going to apply these techniques as we do it to make sure that we're doing it the right way and coming to, as much as we possibly can, coming to the right conclusion. So I mentioned a few of the things we're going to do in the series. Everything happens for a reason. I know we're going to do that one. Um, God won't give you more than you can handle. (laughs) That's an interesting one. Based on a scripture, true-ish. Okay, Uh, Money is the root of all evil classic one you hear a lot. Um, God helps those who help themselves. Is that true? It's true-ish. When is it true? When is it not true? And uh, this one should be interesting. If we turn back to God, he will save our country. All right. So there's going to be some, there's going to be some good ones coming. If you have any other ideas, by the way, I'd love to have them. Um, I don't know how long this series is going to go. I don't, I, don't, I don't really have a, a full-on plan for it yet. So if you have any other phrases or verses or other things you want to shoot my way, would love to see them, would love to hear them. Uh, might be good content for us to use in the series. But I really believe that as we do this, if you engage in this with me, that we're just going to get better. We're going to get better at this, <laughs> at understanding this, at applying this, and our lives are going to come more in line with what God has designed for us, and we are going to experience the life kind of ever, uh, eternal and everlasting life he's designed us for, okay? So uh, I hope that you'll take this seriously with me as we dive into this series. And as we make our commitments today, I just want to pray and ask God to bless uh, the entire series and our time today. God, I come to you and I thank you uh, for your love and the fact that you gave us your truth and made it so clear that you inspired people to write this down, that you've protected it so that we can have it, that it has so much integrity that we can study it and be confident in that. And that as we see what you've actually said and apply it to our lives, that it changes us. And we can see the difference between living in the spirit and living in the flesh. And so, God, I just want to say thank you for that. And um, for anybody who hasn't put their faith in Jesus today, they can do that right now simply by believing and trusting in Jesus for salvation. And uh, you will give them the spirit to help guide them and teach them the way you've given us the spirit to guide and teach us. And uh, no matter where we are on this journey and how much we feel like we know or don't know, I just pray, God, you would give us the confidence to take the next step with your word so that we can get in in, uh, line with what is true in our life and as we trust you and bring you glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.